Uh, let's pray. Let's, because <laughs> we're gonna need it. Uh, because we're, we're dealing with the heart. Uh, even before I pray, I want you to do this. I want you to pray a prayer with me that reveals your true identity. I want you to pray this prayer with me because I want you to come to the realization that if I have heart issues, and we're going to see here at the end of this, everyone has a heart issue about something, whether it's some form of pride, whether it's some form of fear, it's going to be exposed today. This lesson was done. I did this lesson and things were exposed. So I'm telling you right now, as we go through this, there are going to be some things that you are going to fight against. Those are the things that you, what you need to work on, because those are the things that are causing friction between you and God. And we're going to deal with that. But I really want you to have your heart posture in a place to receive today, because it has to start in the heart. In, I'm telling you right now, if anything, this, will, this right now, the last two weeks was the introduction. This sets the tone for everything else that we're going to talk about. Because when we're dealing with the heart, we're, de we're dealing with everything. The heart is everything. So let's all pray together. God, thank you, Lord, that we can uh, just come to you as we are. My prayer today is even like the prayer of David that says, you know, create in me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit in me, God. And I just pray that each and every one can just look at their internal hearts right now and say, God, if there are areas in my life that are causing me to lead others down the wrong path, that are, that are causing fights and confusion, God, and causing uh, uh, disbelief, Lord, your word says, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief, God. And it all begins in the heart. So I pray that you transform our heart. You renew that spirit within us so that we can be better leaders for tomorrow, better leaders in our home, better leaders in the ministries that you have entrusted us with. So God, I pray that you purge everything in our heart that is not of you. Anything that is of ungodly character, anything that is causing uh, dysfunction in our families, anything that is causing separation because of sin. But I thank you today, God, that we are here and willing to learn and unlearn the things that we need to do to move forward. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let me just uh, set myself up here. All right, so. Okay, so we're talking about today. Uh, let me just look at one thing. Okay, so we're talking about the heart of a leader. Okay, that's exactly what we're talking about today. All right, get ready to take notes, everybody. Uh, but what we're going to be dealing with specifically with the heart is what's called exalting God only exalting God only. And what does that mean? So let me give you the memory verse for these two weeks. Okay. 
The memory verse is found in Psalms 19.14. Psalms 19.14. Also, maybe uh, if somebody could put in the chat the scriptures that we're going through, uh, that would be helpful as well. Psalms 19.14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let that memory verse sink in, pray it every day, digest every word. But that is going to be the catalyst of everything that we're going to be talking about today. So in order for leadership to be transformational, right? We talked about leadership being transformational last week. We talked about uh, everyone is a leader. You don't need a title to be a leader. Everyone's a leader. But in order for it to be transformational, it must first begin with a change on the inside. It has to happen on the inside because primarily leadership is a heart issue. Okay, leadership is a heart issue. And when we're looking at the core of our heart, at the core of your heart is the why. Okay, at the core of your heart is the why. Because it is the home to your intentions and your motivations. Okay, so inside of your heart, what is housed there is the intentions and the motivations. Okay, it is the core of who you are. Everything that we do, every intention, every action, every step, every motivational thought, all is housed in the heart. Let me give you some scripture to confirm that. Romans 10.10. Romans 10.10 says, for with the heart, a person believes. Look at that. With the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Okay, so ultimately, your heart is a storage for your belief structure. So the house, the the heart houses your belief structure and actually how you view Jesus as both fully God and fully man. Because even when you look at early church history, there were debates, the the Council of Nicaea, I believe it was 325, uh, there were these councils that were established because there were disagreements between the divinity of Jesus. So your storage your, your houses, your belief structure. I like what um, one theologian said, uh, A.W. Tozer. He said, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. <laughs> I got to repeat that again because that is so good because it really talks dynamically into what we want to say now. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. So what do you believe? So it is the beliefs in our heart that set the motion for your why. Okay? So scripture affirms this, that it's, it's this importance of the heart is leadership, in leadership is because love is stored there. Okay, we're going to talk a lot about love right now. So 
But let me first give some context. Another scripture. I told you we're going to go there. We're going to go with scripture. First Peter chapter one, verse 22. First Peter chapter one, verse 22 says, now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So how do you purify your soul? It's obedience to the truth of God's word so that you may genuinely mutually love one another deeply from the heart. So that word deeply is a, is a word in Greek called ektinos. Okay. You guys are learning Greek today. Okay. <laughs> so the word there is ektinos. And what that means, it means earnestly. It means continuously without stopping. So what, what, what Peter is saying here is that we need to love one another deeply. We need to love them past our pain points. We need to love them when they don't love us back. We need to love them earnestly. We need to love them consistently even when they do us harm. We need to love them without stopping. Sometimes we put a pause on our love. I understand. Sometimes we, we say no to love because someone has hurt us in the past. Sometimes we, and what happens there is that it affects our relationships and it affects our relationships with God because we've become so accustomed to the distortion of what we think love is. But according to the gospel, love says it never stops. Love says to go beyond the barriers. Love says to do whatever it takes, even if I have to die. That's what love means here. So with love comes forgiveness and forgiveness stems from the heart. You could just write the scripture down, Matthew uh, 18, 55. Uh, words are stored in the heart. Okay, there are words that are stored in the heart. I'm gonna read to you Luke chapter six, verse 45. Luke chapter six, verse 45, and it says this, the good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasures produces what? Evil. <laughs> For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, even when we look at that scripture, sometimes that's the, that last phrase is the only phrase that we understand, we, 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 we get. The, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But look at before, the, before that scripture, the first portion of that scripture, it's the good person. Out of the good treasures of their heart produces good. So now the question becomes, what kind of treasure are you storing in your heart? Is it good treasure that's gonna produce good fruit or is it evil treasure? Is it malicious that's going to produce more evil? Okay, God's word is also kept close in our hearts. Okay, God's word is kept close to our hearts. Psalms 119 verse 11. Psalms 119 verse 11 says this, I have stored 
up your word in my heart. Another word for stored there means to hide or hidden. I've, I've hidden your word. I've hidden this very word in my heart. You know, sometimes we just read the Bible aimlessly. We just, we, we kind of close our eyes and we say, and we, and we turn the Bible around <laughs> and we say, okay, God, speak to me. Boom. Doesn't work like that. Or, or another way is sometimes, oh, we're following this Bible plan. Okay, uh, I got to make sure I read this every day. And we get so legalistic about it that we miss the goodness that is in it. Let me just remind you that you have to hide this word in your heart. What does that mean to hide this word in your heart? It means to obey it to the fullest. It means to, to uh, let this uh, lead every aspect of your character. It means to dive into this and allow it to just uh, resurrect the dry bones and the dead parts of your life and, and, and to uh, reshape the things in your life that need to be uh, shaped into. So that's what that means there. It's because with our hearts, we search for and we find God. See, people think you can find God through theological means. People think you can find God by, uh, well, if, if I follow this pastor, it, it, he, he must know God, so I want to latch on to him. I want the salvation that he has. No, with our hearts, we search and we find God. Jeremiah 29, 13. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You see, I'm giving you guys, okay, just this is just the foundation right now. So you see how important it is. The importance of the heart right here, everything comes from it. Getting close to God, searching for God, our treasures, forgiveness, everything comes from the heart. Okay, so the heart houses three parts of the person. Okay, the house houses three parts of the person. Number one is the will. Number two is determination. And number three is the soul. So the, how, the heart houses three parts of the person. It's the will, the will to do good or the will to do evil. It's the determination. The determination is how far are you going to trust God? How far are you going to trust God in your financials? How far are you going to trust God with your job and your vocation? How far are you going to trust God in this area of your life? How far are you going to trust God? How determined are you? Paul continually uses the context of a racer, right? Racing to win the prize. How many of us are just racing just to, just to be second place? I want to race. And I want to be in a race determined to reach that goal towards the end. I'm not happy with second place. So it's the essence of who we are. Okay, the heart is the essence of who we are. And it is no wonder why when we look at Proverbs, 
it warns us to do what? To guard our hearts above all else. Proverbs 4.23. So, a leader who desires to lead like Jesus, each and every one of you, you're here, who desires to, to lead like Jesus, we ultimately tend to focus on the behavior. It's behavior modification. But true change cannot begin until the heart changes initially. I, I want you to write this down because this is going to uh, sum up everything that we have talked about thus far. A changed heart means a changed leader. A changed heart means a changed leader. So let's talk about, remember last week I was going to say it, but we're going to talk about the difference between a self-serving leader versus a servant leader. Okay, because there is a difference between a self-serving leader versus a servant leader. So uh, few leaders would actually admit this, that they're only after their own self-interest. They're not going to tell you straight out. Oh, well, I'm looking for, for me. They're not going to say that. They're going to conceal it. They're going to hide it. They're going to put it into uh, conversations little by little. They're going to gossip about it. There are two types of these kinds of leaders, okay? There's two types. There's the driven and the cold. I want you to write that down because that's going to talk about these self-serving leaders. There are the driven and they are the cold. The driven leaders and the cold leaders. Here's the difference between a driven and a cold, which you actually can't put it here in this context. Driven and cold. Okay, so the self-serving leader is driven. Driven people think that they own everything. Driven people think they own everything, and what they do is they spend their days and their time protecting what they own. Their motivational factor is fueled by a need to have more they need to continually want more they want to they want more because they feel like they have less that's somebody who's driven but a cold leader a servant leader are people that believe that everything is a loan okay they believe everything is a loan so here the driven leader wants to own everything. Here, the cold leader says it's on a loan. And I'm going to explain what that is. They understand that the temporal aspect, they understand that what they have now is temporary, is borrowed. And they are willing to sacrifice when called to do so. 
So rather, so these are the people, the called people, rather than protecting what they own, called leaders believe that they actually need to steward what has been loaned to them. Sounds familiar? Each and every one of us need to be a servant leader because understand that this body is temporal. Everything that we have been given comes from God, but is on a loan. Just like when you go to a bank, right? Or you got a mortgage payment or somebody, how many here have a loan? (laughs) Got a student loan here that I'm paying for, but it's not forever. It's not eternal. It's temporal. So we understand that our bodies are not our own. We understand that we're not our own. We need to get that fundamental idea deep within our heart so that we can change internally. Okay, so here's the question. What type of leader are you? Now that, you, now that you've heard the two different types, what type of leader are you and what does leading like Jesus look like? Does leading like Jesus look like someone that is driven? Someone that is after their own possessions, their own gain, their own self-interest? Or does leading like Jesus look like a cold person that understands like, hey, this money that I have, it's not my own, so I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to feed you with it. Hey, you know what? You, you need something? I got you. I'm going to take care of you because this is not my own anyway. So let me put a scripture behind this. Matthew 22 37 to 39. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we see it there clearly. So Leading like Jesus can be summed up in one word. You know what? I probably should have wrote this in red. <laughs> Love. Love. So where relationships and Uh, results are intertwined, committed to one another, right? Because what it does is love, it it honors God, and it reflects uh, the faith that we have in each other, but also ultimately with God. So leading like Jesus is this, when we're talking about love. Leading like Jesus uh, is more than telling someone that you will pray for them. I probably just blew some of your minds right now. Right, you ever get that one Christian <laughs> that says, oh, I'll pray for you. Don't worry about it. I'm going to pray for you. Totally forget to pray for you. Totally doesn't pray for you. Now, you're going to see with me, I don't like to do that. If I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for you right now. Because I am going to forget. <laughs> it's just a human nature. I am going to forget. But what love looks like, it goes beyond that. Or they tell you, oh, God's got it. Don't worry about it. You don't have to worry. You know, there's a whole book of lamentations that is written. There are psalms that are written that are the um, psalms that say, God, where are you? God, you're not there for me. 
Lamentations, God, why, why is this happening to me? We need to, uh, we need to feel the burden with other people. That's where our heart comes in. Sometimes we treat ministry like a robot. We treat people like second rate citizens. We don't implement the aspect of love to people through our actions. I, let me tell you, confession, I was one of those people a long time ago where everything was just, okay, everybody was just a number. Everybody was just a, a name on an Excel spreadsheet. Everyone was just in a system. But when I begin to learn about this concept, about the heart and what it truly means, and it just really transformed my ministry, just, just uh, everything about me. So what this does is it requires each and every one of you to go the distance to actively engage with loved ones, to extend grace when you have to extend grace, to extend forgiveness when you have to extend forgiveness. And the reward is long lasting. The relationships are long lasting and it produces incredible transformation. So another question I want you to uh, understand is this, do you find yourself saying, I want to lead like Jesus, but my heart does not. I want to lead like Jesus. I want to do these things, but my heart doesn't. And we're going to talk about some of the ways that uh, your heart gets affected by it. Uh, if you do have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 7, uh, verse 22 to 25. Uh, I, I do want to read this in, in a greater a setting here, um, but Romans chapter 7, verse 22 to 25. I'm going to give you some time to get this. You, got, you guys enjoying this so far? We haven't even touched the surface yet. We, we haven't even get, gotten to the nook and crannies of the heart, but uh, awesome. All right. <laughs> Romans chapter 7. Verse 22 to 25. Let's go there, family. Uh, I'm going to read this from the Christian Standard Bible. But it says, For in my inner self I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. This is Paul saying this. What a wretched man I am. But Paul, weren't you such a, a great influencer? You were taught un, under one of the most highly influential teachers, Gamaliel. Why are you saying that you are a wretched man? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Sometimes when it's talking about the mind in scripture, it also refers to the heart. So Paul had the same problem. What is in the heart determines why we do what we do. 
And even Paul is saying, my body sometimes, it wants to lean towards the flesh. Sometimes my body wants to say things <laughs> to my spouse, <laughs> right? Let's keep it PG-13 here. But sometimes my body wants to lash out on people, wants to do something else, wants to intoxicate and numb the pain of self. What a wretched man I am. Such a powerful, powerful declaration to say, who will rescue me from this body of death? So Paul had this problem, and our hearts are the primary source of our motivation. So I want you to write down now, okay, we're going to do an exercise. I want you to write down now what motivates you right now. I want you to write down what motivates you to lead others. What's your motivation? If you want, you can write it in the chat. But what motivates you to lead others? Because here, this is where I want you to start thinking now. This is the shift of the teaching right now. Because your leadership, does it always reflect about you? Does it always reflect about you? Love, Jesus, kingdom influence. I love it. Keep going. Let me, let me see it in the chat. What motivates you to lead others? What is your motivational factor for even being here, spending time? You could have been anywhere else, but you said, I want to learn the crux of God's word in such a way that it wants, it's going to fashion me to flame. What are you here for? What is your motivational pinpoint? What is your motivational factor to lead others? Salvation, the Lord, salvation, gratitude, making a difference in my community. I love that. Watching people grow, watching them gain independence and identity. Yes, yes, I love it. Obedience to God, God's kingdom. To build the kingdom of God, bring souls to the kingdom of God. My freedom, that there's a need. Yes, <laughs> amen. I love, I love I love these. This is so, so good. Compassion. Yes, seeing people free. Compassion. Love. That's what we're talking about. Love. Your motivational factor. Love. Okay, let's keep going here. Um, the barrier of a self-serving leader, okay, it stems from an unmotivated heart. Okay? It stems from an unmotivated heart that is fixated on our egos and we're going to talk about our egos here so get ready <laughs> we're going there here today so this barrier of being a self-serving leader really stems from an unmotivated heart okay so you may know someone uh who is filled with self-interest maybe it's you maybe it's not you uh and you could tell that someone uh, is like that because they sing praises about themselves, uh, what they accomplished, right? Uh, or what they're going to do. These are the people that they all, they all they just talk about themselves. It's never about we, but I. It's never about we, but it's about I. And this is pride. And we're going to come back to that later. But right now, maybe some of you are watching this, or maybe some of you are watching the replay, 
And I, I've had a conversation with someone la last week and all they said was my ministry, my, oh, I'm going here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And not once did it reflect the heart of God. Not once was anybody else in the equation of his vision. If you have a vision that excludes people, it's not a vision. Let me say that again. If you have a vision that excludes people, it's not a vision, it's pride. That was free. That wasn't even in my notes. Maybe somebody needed to hear that today. But anyway, by this, we do what I call edging God out. So without, so without love, we are edging God out. To edge God out, okay? And this deals with our egos as self-serving leaders, okay? So I want to define uh, ego for you. That's kind of like a, a common definition, but we define ego, and you don't have, you don't have to write this down if you don't want, but uh, as the conscious part of the person's psyche, the part that controls the thoughts, the behaviors, and interprets external realities, okay? But in this lecture here today, uh, it's not a psych term that we're dealing with, but it's a heart issue, okay? So how can you edge God out? There's three ways that you can edge God out. The first one is as the object of your worship. You edge God out, number one, as the object of your worship. Okay, so let's start with edging God out as the object of our worship. We do this by putting things in his place. In a sense, what we're doing is we're bowing down to that thing. That thing could be a person. That thing could be a relationship. That thing could be something materialistic, but we bow down to it. Whatever is more important than God is idolatry. And it becomes the answer to the question, if you remember last week, whose am I, right? Whose am I? And to the church of Ephesus, John writes this in Revelation 2.4. Revelation 2.4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned what? Abandoned what? Can somebody finish that? I want to see. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the, yes, the first love. <laughs> you guys know your Bibles. I love it. I love it. You've abandoned your first love. Why? Because you have put this thing in place of me. You worship this before reading this. You put this as an idol, right? So what is the object of your worship? When, when passion 
exceeds the person of Christ, its efforts are polluted. When the passion for whatever it is that you have for, if that exceeds the person of Christ, all your efforts are polluted. Because it doesn't mean anything. Because you're seeking what? The temporal. We talked about it. You're, you're self-serving. You're just driven by the object of your worship instead of being called by the one who saved you. So that is the first one. That's the first as the object of... Now, how can we edge out God, number two, as the source of your security, self-worth, and wisdom? And we'll repeat that again. Number two, how do you edge God out? Number two, as the source of your security, self-worth, and wisdom. So you edge God out as the source of your security, self-worth, and wisdom. So we trust, this is what happens when we trust in something other than God's character and the unconditional love of God as our main source. So what we're trying to do here by edging God out is we're going into performance mode, okay? We're trying to outperform God. And you say, well, I would never do that. You'd be surprised. We outperform God by positioning ourselves with temporal things instead of what's eternal. Because we focus more on those things. And we've all done that to some degree or some form, right? We become, uh, we become driven by self-promotion. We become driven by self-promotion and we base our security on what others think and their opinions. And what that does is that eventually fuels our hearts with doubt and anxiety. I know I'm speaking to somebody here today because you're listening to the opinions of people that is now driving your performance so that you can please them instead of pleasing the one who created you. Now, I learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> and, you know, now I come to the conclusion, God, everything that I do, let it be to you and to you alone. I'm not here to be performance-driven where a lot of pastors are, okay? A lot of pastors, they want to have the big mega churches, and we're entering into a season where, where high-capacity leaders are failing. Let me tell you something at V1. We don't, we don't have that problem. You know why? Because we remain in God's Word. We focus on this. We don't want to be out... We want to read this... We don't care about be, uh, outperforming the next pastor or, or, or being a celebrity pastor. We don't care about those things. We want to be aligned with God's word. So that's the person 
that we're talking about here. Let me give you some context. 1 Corinthians 10.31. That's right. V1 is on the next level, Jack. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, sometimes we want to be so performance-driven that it's not to the glory of God. Even though we may be doing Christian things, there's a twist there. Even though, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm starting this watch party or I'm doing this. Okay, that's all well and good. But are you doing it to the glory of God or are you doing it to please the next person? Because God's not impressed with your best. I got to say, that. God is not impressed with your best. Somebody needs to tweet that, quote that, tag me on Instagram with that, because I'm probably going to forget it. Anyway, let's keep going. And here's the, the third way that we edge God out is as the audience for and authority over your daily work and life story. Okay, I know it was a handful. I'm going to repeat it again slowly. This is the third way that we edge God out. As the audience for and authority over your daily work and life story. If you can read my chicken scratch here. As the audience for and the authority over your daily work and life story. I'm going to explain what that means. So we put others in God's place as the primary audience, right? And what that is, what that is, is this. It's a value shift. We shift our values that ends up causing dominance in trying to serve two masters right so now we shift our values we shift our christian beliefs so that when god was at one point of our lives the main audience now people become our main audience and now we begin to shift our value structures to fit to please that other person so god is writing your story and God has been writing your story since the foundation of the world, right? Why do I say that? Because we're running around trying to appease people, trying to build our, our Twitter, uh, 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 Twitter followers. We're trying to build our influence, right? So that we can be, uh, they can be our audience. But let me just tell you that we are living for an audience of one. We are living for an audience of one, right? Because God ultimately determines your destiny, not what people think. Stop, stop, stop. Some of us here, we're listening too much to the opinions of people that is directing our heart motives so that we can succumb to whatever they want us to look like or to be like. No, 
God determines your destiny. You are living for an audience of one. You're not serving two masters. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in what? Let me see. Can somebody finish that? Who is in what? Secret. There you go. Shut the door. Pray to your father who is in secret. Why would the scripture, and this is the Sermon on the Mount, this is the greatest sermon ever. And here, the father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's only between you and God. It's only between you and God. Stop right now living for the audience of many. Live for the audience of one. And that's going to ultimately determine your daily work and what you do. Because it's God's story. Your story is God's story. Not your own. I'm going to get real vulnerable here. Is that okay? Uh, I really sought for the approval of fathership through leadership. And I would do anything to have a bigger audience with uh, my lead pastor at that time when I was just first starting off in ministry. I just graduated Bible college, and I wanted him to be my personal God. And I looked to the pastor for every single thing. Oh, you got to have the answers. You got to have this. You got to have that. And then I fashioned even how I even read this, how I even digest this by how he digested it. That's the wrong way to go about it. Because what that ended up producing inside of me was father wounds. Father wounds that I'm still dealing with. Father wounds that I got to work through. Father wounds that I got to make sure that when I counsel or talk to someone, it doesn't come out. You're not the only ones with scars. Pastors have scars too. And we go through it. And I just want you to know the only approval that you need to hear is the approval that is found here when you shut your door, when you pray, and it's only between you and God. That is the only approval that you need. You don't need the approval of a pastor. You don't need the approval of anybody else. It's just between you and God. Some of you, you're leaving the door a little bit open because you still like to hear the approval of people. You're just leaving the door, just a little crack open. It's between you and God, but is it really? Because you can still hear the whispers of people saying, yeah, go do it. I got your back. Come on now. Shut that door. Shut that door. Some of you right now, speak that into your heart right now. I want to pray that. I'm going to stop right now teaching. And I want you, I want to pray that over your life right now. Shut that door. Because what that is doing is that is determining who you are. Shut that door. Because what that is doing is saying that I rather listen to the opinions of people than the person of Jesus Christ. Shut that door. Because what that is doing is forming your belief structure, is shifting your values. Shut that door and 
only let it between be between you and God. Don't leave that door open anymore. Don't leave that door open anymore. So let's talk about pride and fear. <laughs> okay, now we're getting there. I'm sorry, I'm going a little bit over. I know it's eight o'clock. You guys want me to stop? <laughs> I'm like, I'm a little bit more than halfway through, through my stuff. So, um, okay, you guys are saying no. Uh, if you guys have to leave, I mean, you know, I try to be seven to eight, but okay, let's go. <laughs> All right, let's talk about let's talk about ego problems. Okay, let's talk about pride and fear. All right, everybody says keep going. No, it's cool. Keep going. All right, thank you. All right, pride and fear. When when false pride and toxic fear enter a relationship, they poison it. When there's false pride and when there's toxic fear and it enters into your conversations and enters into your relationship, they poison it. So when they are the driving, again, write that word drive, when they are the driving force in how you make a leadership decision, they will infect those that you lead and then you would render that person ineffective because of your toxic fear and your false pride. So a, a prideful and fearful individual is quick to judge. They take offense real quick. Uh, they're quick to speak, right? They place the blame game on other people and they accept praise, okay? So what does that mean? So someone that's prideful, pride and fear, so when someone fits that description, they react as self-serving leaders. They react. They become reactionary. But servant leaders, okay, we're talking about servant leaders. Servant leaders are people who lead like Jesus and they respond. They don't react, they respond. They don't react, they respond. They respond to things that happen to them. They take a step back. They're serving out of love. They're, they're quick to listen. They're, they're slow to judge or even to become angry. They're quick to allow someone else to receive praise. Okay? So are you reactionary or are you responding? Okay? I want you to work on that. So... Let's talk about pride, okay? Here is the, just a quick definition of pride. It's a reasonable or justifiable self-respect or improper and excessive self-esteem that is known as conceit or arrogance. That's just the, the, the definition of pride. Pride is basically a sin of attitude and of the heart and spirit. That's what pride is there. Now, there are different kinds of pride, but what we're talking about the pride is the pride that promotes self rather than others. Pride promotes self rather than others, and even Paul had to explain that pride is thinking of yourself more highly than what you think, Romans 12, 3. 
Proverbs 16, 18, and I'm sure many of you probably have heard this scripture before, pride comes before destruction or before the fall. So I want to do a, uh, a quick um, example here. Uh, I want you to check off one, two, three, or four. I'm going to give you some questions. And I want you to determine uh, how do I know if I'm prideful? So if this is you, I want you to check off on your notes, number one, number two, number three, number four. Okay, you got, you guys got it? So here, here's the first one. He, this is if you're prideful. And you got to be honest with these questions, okay? You have to be honest with yourself. Remember, we're purging those things today. We're shutting the door. Here's number one. When you are engaged in any kind of discussion, when you're talking to someone, uh, you resist acknowledging that the other person's idea is actually better than your own is that you if that isn't you put number one number two you do all the talking <laughs> you do all the talking you you take too much credit uh you demand all the attention uh you boast you show off uh, because of your position, uh, you demand some kind of special treatment and you expect better service. Is that you? That's you put number two. Uh, Stephanie, yes. Uh, it, you have to personally reach out to me if you want the replay of this. Okay, number three. Is this you? You judge the value of an idea based on who said it rather than the quality of the thought is that you you judge the value of an idea based on who said it so it doesn't matter how great that idea was because all you're thinking about is that person said it oh that person cheated on their wife last week or that person sinned or, I, or, or I, I caught that person doing that. So you judge them by their sin, but when they actually have a good thought, you don't look at the quality of it. That's number three. And then number four, you treat people as too far below you in position. You treat people too far below you in position or credentials by choosing not to seek their input. You don't listen to them, uh, whether there's an issue that arises, um, you just don't pay them any mind. Is that you, number four? I know, ouch, Sarah, I know we're going there. <laughs> so that's for your own personal. I just want you to, just to check off because um, you don't have to share it here, but uh, if that's you, uh, welcome to the Pride family. <laughs> So uh, I bet that there's some here that are watching uh, and you're going to watch this replay later that you're actually going to say, well, you know what, Pastor Eddie, none of them was me. None of them. But in some way or form, we all have degrees of these various prideful tendencies that we need to work on that we don't even see unconsciously. So that's pride. Let's go into fear. So fear, let me just talk about fear because the, the biblical concept of fear 
uh, embraces a much wider dimension than what's our, our common English word that's used here, right? Because when we're talking about fear, sometimes it denotes a dread or terror, uh, but this is fear. The capacity, and this is going to be a, a revolutionary statement right here, so, so listen closely to me. If you don't grasp this about fear, you're going to miss it. Uh, the capacity to experience fear is a gift from God. The capacity to experience fear is a gift from God. Because what is fear? Fear protects us, but it's what you do with the fear and how we interact with it that prevents us from enjoying God. See, Adam experienced the type of fear in the garden, right? When you look at the Genesis account, after eating the forbidden fruit, and he hides out of fear. It's not the fear we're talking about. In a sense, uh, we as humans, we, we hide in fear whenever our weaknesses are exposed. Right? You ever have someone expose your weaknesses and then they hide in fear? Because uh, it shows uh, our lack of intimacy with that area. So I want you to write this down. Toxic fear is a complete anti-God state of mind. Toxic fear is a complete anti-God state of mind, okay? Because we are called to hold God in reverence and awe in a God-fearing way, right? So it's the fear of the Lord, right? That's the beginning of wisdom. It's this godly fear that we need to impose on our hearts, right? Um, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. So the whole duty of the person, of the Christian selfhood, is to fear God and to keep his commandments. Yet we are uh, vulnerable to having anxiety and fear, right, to be the key drivers of our thoughts and behaviors. Some of us, we are allowing fear to drive our walk with God. And it shouldn't be. So here's a question. Do you lead out of your own fear? Or do you create it in those that you lead? That's a question. Do you lead out of your own fears? Well, this person did it this way. I got to I got to I got to make sure I do it like this. Are you leading in fear? Are you creating fear in your community? Are you creating fear in your household? Are you creating fear in your ministries? You may not even realize it, but you're probably doing it because you want to accommodate people. Let me just stop right there. Stop accommodating people. The only one that you have to accommodate is God. The only one you have to fear in reverence and in awe is God. I want you right now to name that demon of fear. Name that demon of fear that is holding you captive and avoid this trap of toxic fear. Work on that. So 
God gave us the capacity to fear that was designed for our protection and for our participation with him. Why? To enjoy a relationship with him of unconditional love. When we lose this intimacy with God's love, we fear intimacy with others. Think about that. When we lose this intimacy with God's love, we fear intimacy with others. And if you're not careful, what ends up happening is you become addicted to using fear to manipulate and control others just to get results. Am I speaking true fear or what? <laughs> but let, let's conclude with though with um, those that we are willing to be servant leaders, okay? To be servant leaders. Uh, here are three primary results. I want to give you three quick primary results, and then we're going to end here. Three primary results of letting our pride and our fear edge God out of our lives. Okay, we're talking about edging out God. The next part of our lecture, in session three, we're going to be talking about exalting God. So edging God out of our lives. It's separation, comparison, and distortion. Separation, comparison, and distortion. I'm going to try to make, I don't think I have any room here, so I'm just going to let that rock out. But let's talk about separation first, okay? This is all regarding pride and fear. Uh, pride and fear, and I want you to write this down. Pride and fear will always separate us from God, from one another, and from yourself. Pride and fear will always separate us from God, from one another, and from yourself. So the biggest barrier to intimacy is the fear of vulnerability. The biggest barrier to intimacy is the fear of vulnerability. I can't tell you how many times leaders cannot cross that threshold of vulnerability and can't look you in the eye and say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. It's going to be okay. They keep things in a closet together. They don't want anybody to know their faults. They don't want anybody to know their shortcomings. It's a fear of intimacy. It becomes a barrier. <laughs> when you've been broken, <laughs> just nothing left in the tank. This is, this is who I am. I'm sorry. Listen, maybe some of you, you won't like me. Some of you won't listen to this teaching. Some of you saying, oh, this guy is too whatever. But it's, this is who I am. This is the way God created me. This is the way I'm, I'm working on myself, and that's okay. I want to get better each and every day for, for, for you all. And that's where you have to come to a place where you say, you know what? Let me switch something up. Let me change my attitude. Let me, let me work towards this. Because I want to build intimacy with the people that I'm teaching, the people that I'm growing old with, the people that uh, have my back, encouraging each other daily. That's why vulnerability is such a key factor here. But it's the fear of admitting that I need help or, or having all the right answers. This is false pride in action. Separation from God 
will ultimately lead to a fear of intimacy with others. And what that does is that it weakens our relationships, it weakens our teams, and if we're not taking care of it, it's going to lead to destruction. That's separation. And pride and fear is involved. Here's comparison. Comparison. Pride and fear will bring unhealthy horizontal comparisons. Someone's going to be set free from this right now, so get ready. Pride and fear will bring unhealthy horizontal comparisons. So we end up playing the comparison game, right? We, we draw comfort from feeling superior to other people. These are all signs that you have false pride, that you have insecurities, that you have uh, fears of inadequacy. And what that does, when we compare to each other, it pollutes our relationships. Just read the story of Cain and Abel. Go back and read the story of Cain and Abel, and you will see the comparison. Oh, you, you have a better sacrifice. God honored your sacrifice. God didn't honor mine. Some of us, we look at other Christians, and we look at other people, and that's the eyes. That's how our heart perceives them. Oh, well, God must favor them because look how blessed they are. They have so much more than what I have. Making comparisons devalues the promise and the provision of God because we are all one in Christ. That's a powerful statement right there because it speaks so much into who we are. When we make comparisons, what that does is that it devalues the promise of God. It undermines the provision of the Holy Spirit to work into your life because we are all one in Christ anyway. So here's the antidote for unhealthy comparison. Okay, you ready? Here's the antidote for unhealthy comparison, trusting God's plan for your life and seeking to learn from your peers. That's how you do that. You know, I, I'm willing to learn from those that are younger than, <laughs> younger than me, right? I'm willing to learn from anyone, you know, teach me, learn from me. Whenever I get to a point, even, in, even if I get more gray hairs on my head and I have way more degrees, I don't want to be that person that says, oh, I know it all, I I'm not teachable. Never will I ever want to be that. Always want to be teachable. Always want to learn always want to grow, always want to get better. Stop playing the comparison game. And the last one is distortion. Distortion, okay? Pride and fear distorts the truth. Pride and fear distorts the truth. So one of the root causes of toxic fear is believing the lie that God's ways are not safe and that we will be missing out on life. You know, there was a time even in my life where my family, when I was applying for Bible college, again, being vulnerable, uh, and I was applying for Bible college, and they said, why are you going to Bible college? Why don't you get a real job? That's not what the rest of the world does. 
Why, why, why you have such uh, ambition? So you can't get a real job by going to Bible college. So I, I say all that, all that to say, you know, the truth was distorted. They didn't see the truth of the gospel. And now looking back 20, 25 years later, and you see the fruit of what God has done. Um, and even though in their, in their mind, they didn't think that was a safe bet. When you bet on God, it's always a safe bet. <laughs> right? When you bet on God, that is always a safe bet. And I'm not missing out on life. Let me tell you something. I'm excited about life right now. How many of you are excited about life? Because even being here, just learning God's word, just growing together, it's just, I'm excited about who God is, what he's done. Let me hear some excitement in the chat. Come on. Yes. I don't look back at me not going to Bible college and experiencing what I'm experiencing as something, oh God, I missed out on life. I didn't do what everybody else did. I shut the door to that. Come on, no turning back. Yes, be excited about life. Be encouraged. Somebody, you know, when your friends are probably telling you, oh, come on, just, you know, a party with me. Oh, let's go back to the clubs. Oh, let's do this. No, the only club I care about is the club Jesus. And the only drinking I'm going to do is getting drunk in the Holy Spirit. And that's okay because I'm not missing out on life because it's temporal. I'm on a loan, baby. I'm on a loan. <laughs> All right, this is not this is supposed to be a teaching. You guys got me preaching now. Come on. <laughs> uh, I'm just having fun with you guys. It's getting to that hour. Okay, got 10 more minutes. <laughs> um, so we believe the lie because of fear. And this is what fear is. Fear is false evidence appearing real fear is false evidence appearing real so you view your, your view of reality uh becomes increasingly misguided and you become prone to making decisions now in error because of this fear, because it's false evidence that's being presented to you. It's not the real thing, but because of fear and anxiety and distortion of the truth and comparison and separation, what ends up happening is this. We make decisions out of fear, this false evidence that appears real. God is truth. This is truth. This is what we need to hold on to. So when you're living in this realm, you rather have short-term results than long-term integrity. I'm telling you, this is the point of the teaching where I just want to just explode right now. Right now. You rather have, because of the fear, you rather have short-term results than long-term integrity. I'm looking for these kind of people these servant leaders that are willing to go the distance with me, that are willing to say, you know, Pastor Eddie, you know what? It may not look like how it's appearing right now because of fear, 
but I know that God has a plan and he's going to work through it. So we're going to stay the course and we're going to see this coming through. We want instant gratification because of fear. Instant gratification that is ego-driven, that will edge out God and will leave you unrecognizable because the truth is not found in you. <laughs> I felt that in my bones. <laughs> uh, this false sense of security, this is what this is, is a false sense of security that wants to control the events of your life wants to choke the events of your life. But the truth is that we are all fallible creatures in need of saving. So in order for us to turn this around, it's going to take three things. It's going to take unconditional, unlimited, and unfailing love of God. Let me just give you those three points real quick, and then we're going to end. Unconditional, unlimited, and the unfailing love of God. It is unconditional because perfect love does what? What does perfect love do? Let me see. Somebody put that in the chat. What does perfect love do? <laughs> Come on. Somebody preach it in that chat. It cast out all fear. Cast out all fear. The unconditional love of God casts out or drives out Fear. It drives, drives, drives out all fear into the realm of being called. You seeing the connection now? You guys are getting this connection? Okay. That's unconditional. Unlimited. It's unlimited because love died for you and for me. Right? For God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only son. Because he loved the world. He so loved the world. He loved the world. It is unlimited. Imagine if there were limits to God's love for our lives. But God said, no, my love for you is unlimited. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture of God caring for us. And lastly is unfailing. It's not just unconditional. It's not just unlimited. It is unfailing because it's reliable to the very end. It's unfailing because it's reliable to the very end. Wow. Let's go back to the memory verse. And let's conclude with that. And we'll pray it out. Psalms 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'm going to say it one more time. And I want you right now, you can put your pens down. I really want you to focus on this moment right now. I want you to repeat that with me. But I want you to mean it. After we've taught all about the heart of a leader, and this is just the first part of it. I want to pray this word back to you. This is called praying the word. We're going to pray the word. I think that's one of the most uh, 
missed ways to pray is praying this word. And because when we pray the word back to God, guess what? He has to do his own word. <laughs> he has to do what the word says. His word will not return back to him void. So let's all just meditate on this word right now and let's repeat Psalms 19, 14 and mean it from the abundance of your heart. If something has clicked in today, uh, there's something about the pride, the, the list that we went through, or maybe there's a fear that you have that maybe you didn't even recognize before, but now it's become evident. I want you to pray this prayer in belief. Pray this prayer in faith with me and believe that God is transforming your heart posture to him. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, thank you so much. God, we are, I'm sorry for being filled with pride. I'm sorry for doubting and allowing fear to bring a false representation of who you are. And God, in those ways, I've edged you out. In those ways, I've pushed you, I've separated, I've compared. But I'm on a new journey. I want to go higher with you. Just how Moses said, if I could just see the back part of you, God, that's all I need. If that's all that it takes to be satisfied in the glory of your presence, and that's all that I need. I don't need something else to be the object of my worship. God, I pray that, I, that you alone will be the object of my worship. Help me to be a servant leader and not a self-servant leader. Love-based leadership. Let it flow from my heart first before it comes into my hands. Let it flow from my heart first before any action, before anything that is spoken. God, I pray that you will be the source of my security, of my self-worth, and, and you be the wisdom, the, all the wisdom that I need, God, that I'm secure in you, and you're going to take care of me because you love me, unfailing, unconditional, unfathomable. And God, I pray that you alone will be the audience of one in my life. And that if I have kept the door ajar, if I've kept that door open, listening to the, to the, uh, the comments sections of, of others, listening, oh God, uh, to the opinions of others and being driven by that, forgive me. But I pray that the secret place will be holy and sacred. That anytime I'm in need, all I have to do is shut the door of prayer and just walk into your presence and just dialogue with you, God, because you are writing my story. 
and you're writing the stories of each and every one that are here today. So God, thank you for everyone that is here. I love them. And I pray, God, that even as we uh, finish off this week and we move on forward, that you do a new work creating us with a clean heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.